Welcome to the first episode of the Falkirk FC podcast. My name is Colin, and our first episode we're joined by Falkirk CEO Jamie Swinney. Jamie, thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for for approaching us and and asking if if it's something the club would be interested in. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that I think it's hopefully a medium that we can we can explore and give fans more updates in, in a different way, and and hopefully it's something that is it turns out to be a a positive addition to our media and communications. Yeah, our name of this podcast is ultimately to let the fans get to know the people that are with, working within their club, you know, the people who are running it, the people who are playing for it, and allow a name to to tell us about what work they do, what's going on behind the scenes, and give them a chance to show their personality. Uh, on this first episode, we're going to be focusing on where the club currently sits and where it's going to be going after a, a really disappointing season. Yeah, certainly. I think that's an understatement of the century. Um, and and you know we won't spend too much time talking about last year. I'm sure the fans don't need reminded of it, but certainly a you know um, possibly the worst season in the football club's 146 year history. That pretty much tells you where where last season was. So we we need to be a lot better in every single aspect, um, and we won't spend too much time talking about last year. No, let's get out of the way first. It was your first season with a club, first season as chief executive. How was it, and how do you reflect on it now, looking to learn from it? So the straightforward answer is more difficult than I could ever have imagined. Mm. So as someone who's spent my whole life living and growing up in Falkirk, been to several hundred Falkirk games in my life, I knew the club from the outside. I knew the club wasn't in a great place, clearly. And uh, so before I took the role, I knew it was going to be a, a very difficult challenge, but it was far, far harder than I would ever have anticipated. The club... I would say the best way to, to try and summarise it is, you know, the club has been broke. It's broke. And it needs a complete rebuild in every single way. And some people might think, oh, we've, we've been through rebuilds. Uh, we've not. This this What we're now going through is a proper rebuild. I think I think the most important thing is, I'd like, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the problems that we've inherited and last season, but the, the best way to describe it is it's a, it's a business and a football club that has been underperforming for a long, long time. It has it's not a one person issue or a or a or a you know one decision issue. It's we didn't arrive at sixth place in League One overnight. It's been mismanagement, it's been poor leadership and it's been consistently bad decision making that's, that's that's led us to where we are. It's not one individual that's that, that or one bad decision that's, that's put us here. It's 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 poor management over a long time. This club shouldn't be where it is, but we deserve to be because the decisions that have been made have, have, have put us here. So there's a, there's a huge, huge, huge long road to go in terms of rebuilding this club. But we have started it. We have started it. So with regards to the first season, it's difficult starting after the season's already began. So so a, a lot of the work I had done in preparation for the season passed. I'd done it at Stennis Muir and, and really pleased with, with, with where I left that the, the club. Um, but coming in here, the, the, the season was already up and running and therefore a lot of things are already in place and it's difficult to change it and, and to make a lot of changes when, when everything's already there. But what I hoped is that the, the first few games of the season clearly went well. I, I certainly hoped at that point that we'd, we would have had a, a more positive season than we did, but ultimately it was it was a real, really hard season um, and made worse by a whole, a whole number of things, including... Things like the Q and A and replacing managers and staff moving on and, and, and all sorts of, of, of other issues that we've faced. But 
Um, I think Volker fans probably want to hear about what we're going to do going forward, and I think that's that's something we'll try and put put the focus of today on. Yeah, I mean, it, last season as a fan was pretty horrific after a few horrific ones, so I, I think it's good to hear that the club's kind of acknowledging that there's there's more than just we've got the wrong manager has been the problem, and I think it's good to hear that it's recognised that there needs to be a big change at the club. Every single aspect, and I really can't emphasise that enough, there's, there's not a single part of this club over the last few years that has performed to an excellent level on and off the park. There's some bits that perform okay, um, and there's other bits that don't perform well. And I'm, I'm not just talking about football, I'm talking about all aspects. But for this club to be successful and to be the club that we all know it can be, which is a, a sustainable club in the top flight of Scottish football that can compete regularly, in latter stages of cup competitions and hold its own in the Premiership. This club can only do that if all aspects of the club are performing. It needs off the park to be as strong as on the park. So when, when, I, when I say that every single part needs needs work, some of it just needs to be more efficient, some of it needs to be a, a lot better and some of it needs ripped up and started again. And that's the reality of, of where the club is. So that is not an overnight... We have six, five or six years of decline you can't turn that around in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. It's probably. I thought initially I wanted a two-year rebuild. I think it's probably more one to three years is my, my thoughts. So we're still, we've still got a long way to go and some more pain to go, I think. However, I do believe that we are now starting to put the foundations in that we'll see the club return to a club that can once again give people that sense of pride and, and enjoyment. Doesn't seem that long ago that the club was flying high at the top of the championship, and I think the fans just want to hear that we're going to get back there relatively soon. Yeah, and I'm, what I'm not going to do, I think the club's maybe made mistakes in the past of 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 saying you know we're going to the Premiership, we're going back to the Premiership, or we're, we're, you know, this is our year, etc. I don't think I don't think fans want to hear that now. I think the the reality is absolutely the aim this season will be to get promoted. Of course it will be. This club for this club to not be competitive. At the top of League One, which which unfortunately wasn't last year, is completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. We must be competing to win this league. We must be. That's an absolute minimum. Now, what we're not going to say though is that we'll be in the Premiership next year or two years' time. Sorry, that's that's going to be tough. Our ambition is by our hundred fiftieth anniversary, two thousand twenty six twenty seven. Is can we be in the Premiership then? People might think maybe that's not been very ambitious. That's you know several years away, but I think that's that's a fair aim and objective. Now, if we can get there sooner, then that'd be brilliant. But the reality is, it's going to take time. It's going to take time, and it may well be that it does take that forty-five year um, journey to get there. But we're fortunate to have some of the most passionate and loyal supporters in Scottish football, and they've continued to back the club through the five or six years of you know of real disappointment, and that's our biggest asset. I'm guessing the focus short term for everyone at club has to be next season, making sure this is the last in week one, because the 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 journey at the Premiership doesn't start without getting that right. Yes, and I know we'll come on to the management team, but of course the rebuild is on and off the park, but fundamentally we need to get on the right on the park right, because hmm. on the park means progress. On the park means getting out of League One. On the park means like a turn to the Championship and the extra income and the extra the ability to become more sustainable as a club it's hard to be sustainable as a football club full time in league 1 it's very hard it's more it's more possible to be sustainable when you're in the upper half of the championship 
and it's a lot more achievable when you're in the Premiership. So from a business point of view, we need to get out of this league. A football point of view, we need to get out of this league. So that has to be the number one objective, and that's that's clearly what we're all what we're all going to push for. Yeah. So the fans can expect basically not to take a season off next year. It's going to be full tilt to try and get towards the Championship. Yes, we, you know, we have in terms of. Uh, where we are with regards to budget, we, we certainly haven't. We've not decreased the budget. We've we've kept we've kept a, a good budget. That's actually not maybe necessarily been an issue with Falkirk over the years. We, we had a competitive budget in the championship and got relegated. We had a competitive budget every year in League One, being one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in, in each of the years in League One, and we've not used it wisely. And therefore, that's why we are where we are. But what we're not doing is cutting back. So the club, sometimes, it may well be in business. That, you know, when things aren't going well, that you decide to make cuts. And you don't invest. I think that would be wrong. I think we need to we need to maintain the infrastructure we do have and keep a competitive playing budget, and that gives us a chance to attract a good manager, which I know I'm really delighted that we have attracted a good manager. But also gives the manager a chance to attract the right quality players, and that's the bit we need to get right now, because we've got the management team in place. We now need to make sure the recruitment's right. Well, I think we'll come to you to start with. Then your role as chief executive of the club, you're obviously going to be the one leading this recovery, hopefully for the club. Can you talk us through your role, what it involves, how involved you are in football matters and just give a, a typical day if there is such a thing in football, a typical day of your job? Yeah, there, there's definitely not such a thing as a typical day. Uh, uh, you know, as a, as a, look, I'm, I am in a privileged position and, and, and that will never change despite how difficult last season was. Um, I don't for one second think that I'm not in a position that um, that is an absolute privilege. So with regards to the role itself, when I first came in, football, I, I wasn't I wasn't really involved in football. It was um, the previous board had a kind of clear line between football and non-football. We had a sporting director. It made no sense for me to come in and start to uh, be involved in football when we had, uh, you know, a full-time member of staff whose job was was to look after the football side. So for the first three, four months, five months of my role, I wasn't involved in football. That changed a little bit in January when we, I had the youth moved on. I was asked to, to start to helped oversee that side because clearly we, we, we needed to stabilise that and rebuild that but also in, in more in, in the more recent weeks and months I've, I've now started to have more, more involvement in the football side which hopefully I can add value to that as well but with regards to an average day there certainly isn't one because you've got lots of different parts of the club football is the one that everybody focuses on but you have youth development you have your commercial side with regards to retail hospitality ticketing you have a commercial side with sponsorship and advertising. You have your operations and your facility, your finance, your team of people and volunteers. So the job's got a lot of different parts to it, and therefore no two days are are the same. Um, and you know, I'm I'm still learning all the time as well. You know, I've, I have been a chief executive for three and a half years at Stennis Muir, but clearly that journey of learning is never stops and therefore I'll, I'll probably still be learning in 20 years time but hopefully I've managed to build up a, a reasonable amount of experience over the last 13-14 years in different roles in football and sport to, to make sure I can, to, to bring this to Falkirk and hopefully make a difference long term. Has it all been different from what you expected when you came in? Has it been different challenges than you, you hoped you would face in your first year? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody if somebody had said to me within the first six months of your role the club will have. I mean, I'll just go through some of the things. You know, we had the, 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 a bit of a mess with regards to the third strip. Right, my first two weeks in the job, we, we didn't have a, we didn't have strips that were compliant with the SPFL. And the first thing you're doing is getting a third strip in League One. We should, we should never have a third strip. 
but we had to do it. You move on to things like the Q&A, which you know, will be infamous for all the wrong reasons. That leads to effective for the whole board um, resigning and moving on. So the people that brought you into the club within two months of you being in the role are no longer in the club. A brand new board coming in. Unfortunately, we, we part company with Paul Sheeran. Um, our sporting director and head of youth move on, all within the space of uh, two, or, two or three weeks. With a lot of that left, left a lot of issues in the youth development side that we had to we had to build and rebuild again and there, um, and it's led all the way through this to, to what was an ultimately extremely disappointing season. And recently, we've had several members of staff move on. So for the first few months in the role, that was that was not ideal. <laughs> that has been that has been really challenging, and now we are doing the process of of recruiting the, the staff back in, both in terms of football and non football. We've got Killers concerts coming up in a couple of weeks' time, which take a lot of time and effort and energy as well, as well as season tickets, strip launches, all the sponsorship and advertising renewals. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of work to be done, um, but but hopefully over the next few weeks, supporters will start to see and hear some more positive news and and, and look forward to the season ahead. Did you set goals coming into the job, and have they changed since over the past season? Have the things you've had to focus on maybe shifted the targets that you had set? Uh, when you came into the job? It's a really good question, Colin, because I, I still remember in the first couple of months drawing up a, what I would class as a bit of an action plan and, and, and running it past the previous board and, and we had lots of things on there we wanted to do but there have been so many problems and so many issues this season that it's, it's been hard to get to some of that work because a lot of it's just been dealing with problems and issues. I'll be honest, it's almost every time we move on from one, another one pops up. So it's been a really tough eight months, really, really tough but certainly going forward, now that we've got through a lot of that, the plan has to now be to start to put things in place that are going to be the foundations for success. So take something like the new ticketing platform that we're about to introduce as just one example. We started the process for this in August, eh, no, October last year. Started doing a tender process, went out to four different companies, got lots of, you know, got them to come and bid, looked at every single aspect of what a ticketing platform can do. The process has led to us choosing a new ticketing platform and it's now been integrated behind the scenes and that's why there's been a slight delay on season ticket announcement. But all that work that goes in to get us something that will hopefully be a better service and product for the fans started many, many months ago. But that's just one example of you want to make the club better but you want to go through the proper processes to make sure you're making the right decisions then hopefully ultimately lead to um, a better experience for fans. But you know, it sometimes takes a lot of time to do that. And that's just one example of projects and work that goes on behind the scenes that, that does require time, effort and resource to deliver it. In the long run, it, w- it will make us a better football club. And there's lots of other examples that I won't, I won't go through them all. But um, hopefully that gives a wee bit of an idea of goals do have to shift in the season, especially when if there's issues that you need to deal with, then they need to get your attention first, sometimes before the ones that you really, really want to do further down the line. I was curious why you went into the business and the, the management side, considering that I know you went to Stone University, you're also a coach, but what led you to the business side rather than the coaching side? It's a really good point. It's, I, I didn't map out a career, I'll be honest. I, I, I loved coaching and spent a lot of time in coaching, um, both community and academy football for and sport for a long time. Uh, and, I, and I did really enjoy my role at the, at the academy. Unfortunately, when the academy came to an end, I was obviously made redundant at the time. And there was a lot, a lot of a crossroads. So I had loved coaching and I still really enjoyed it, but I wasn't sure if that was my long-term career or not. And I had an opportunity to go to um, Hamilton, to be the head of youth at Hamilton, 
and Hamlin's a fantastic academy, so it was quite appealing. But at the same time, Stennis Muir, who, who had been with previously in, in, in the community role, um, and then obviously as part of the Fourth Valley Academy, Stennis Muir were, were, were involved, offered me a chance to be the chief executive. And I felt that it was something that really, really scared me a little bit, but also really excited me. And I felt that maybe I had the ability to, to, to learn more and do more in a club. And coaching started to take a back seat. And in the end, I, I stopped coaching in the just last June, so when I started Stennis Muir, I decided to stop coaching because I felt after 16 years, I'd got to the end of what I would class my, my coaching journey. I'd loved it, but it was it was time for me to focus on on, on other things. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't regret it at all. Um, although I've had to I've had to learn a lot. Hopefully, I've I have enjoyed doing I have enjoyed the learning process. And for three and a half years at Stennis Muir, I learned a huge amount because it's a very small club, and you end up almost doing every job. So you're you're kind of almost the the manager of the foundation slash charity, you're the commercial manager, you're also um, leading on the finance, you're leading on the operations in the facility because you don't have a lots of staff. So you, so I learned a huge amount in that in that role and hopefully that, that has, has led on to learning more over the last eight or nine months in this role. So I didn't necessarily pick it by, by, by you know, 10 years ago when I went to university. However, once I realised there was an opportunity to go and learn more as a, as a chief executive at Stennis Muir. I felt it was something I, I had to go and pursue. And then when, and then when Falkirk approached me uh, last last summer, uh, as much as I had my reservations about where the club were and I was a bit worried about <laughs> why the club was where it was, I, I simply couldn't have not taken the opportunity to come to this football club. It was too big a chance, basically. And I take it you saw yourself having more influence over a community and a club and things like that going out in the management side than you did the coaching yeah absolutely I think my coaching journey was I, I was hopefully a, a good youth coach and I loved youth coaching I was never ever planning to be a first team manager or anything like that and that for me meant that my from a coaching perspective I probably got to the end of that I'd, I'd, I'd coached for 16 years I'd, I'd loved it I'd coached at academy and performance school level and community level and boys and girls all different age groups I'd loved it but I didn't feel necessarily that there was a next stage for that for me. Whereas the opportunity to an opportunity to go from to Stennis Muir, I felt was one I had to take. And then like likewise when Falkirk first approached me, um it was just it was just one that in the end I felt would be a fantastic opportunity. I just couldn't turn down despite the fact I knew that the club was going to need a lot of work. I thought I can't turn this down. Yeah. No regrets. No, genuinely not. <laughs> genuinely not. Um, I, I had a, a fantastic team at Stennis Muir. It's a great club, and if if if, if Falkirk was run as well as Stennis Muir as a club, we'd be in the Premiership. Genuinely, it's it's a, it's a much better has been a much better run club than Falkirk over the years. But that's up to me and the board and and, and other staff in the building to make sure that we get the club to the level that it should be at and make sure it is a well run club. So you've set that up to talk about how the club is running at the moment, how you see it going. Can you? Talk us through what the current structure of the club, say off-field is at the moment, and the, the, you've also had new recruits coming in, looking for new people. Uh, how do you see all that coming together? Yeah, so we've had to do a little bit of a restructure. Uh, Victoria Logan, who was in our finance team, left uh, a couple of months ago now, so we restructured the finance to outsource it to to um, Drum and Laurie. Uh, so that was a change, a whole change of the finance function. Unfortunately. Sammy McGivern, who obviously is a well-known legend of the club, decided to, to return to his, his previous kind of occupation. Jacqueline Galbraith, who was, who was in charge of our retail and also our South Stand Bar, um, 
also decided to move on. She got headhunted to go elsewhere. And then Sharon, who's McGuire's been in a long, long time and been a great servant to the club, decided to try a different career path completely. And we've therefore lost three people that are all good people, Falkirk, Falkirk supporters and people that care passionately about the club. But what it does give us an opportunity to have a, a look at is the staffing structure right for the business? And I felt maybe there's a wee bit of work that could be, could be done because every, the way the previous structure was, everybody more or less operated individually to a certain extent. I felt we create small teams, there's more chance, there's, there's more succession planning, but there's also um, shared responsibilities and collective responsibilities. So what that's led to is supporter services will be led by, by Laura Craig, who's been a, is a fantastic member of staff of the club, uh, and that will be ticket and hospitality and retail. Um, and she's going to be uh, joined by Joanne, who will, will announce Joanne in, in, in future um, once, she, once, she's, once she's in the door. Graham uh, Stewart has taken over from Sammy as a commercial manager and we have another individual coming in to work under, under, under Graham. So we'll have two in the commercial sponsorship and advertising and two in the supporter services. So it's a slight restructure and the other two members of staff are, will, be doing, will be starting in mid-June. So that gives that will get us back up to what is our non-football and staff uh, of full-time equivalent of about nine people across the, across the business because you also have our media team in there and the grounds ground staff and operations. Keith Hogg who leads our ground staff and operations. So that will get us back to having a full um, full team of staff, but it has required a little bit of, of of restructure, which I do believe will give the club that succession planning going forward. So when somebody moves on, there's not a big void and a big hole. Unfortunately, what what I did find is that when we came in, for example, a lot of the infrastructure wasn't there, so you're, you're starting again. That really shouldn't be the case. This club needs to be able to progress regardless of what happens, and that therefore means if somebody moves on, that somebody's ready to either take, and take on their job or at least there's somebody else in the team that can keep that part of the business ticking over properly before you recruit someone else in. So hopefully it'll, it'll give the club a bit more stability and, um, and, and some longer-term um, succession plan. Are you confident that that's going to be the right structure for us then going forward? I know the club has been really fluid over the past five years in terms of structure. You think this is we've found the one that this this will be the one that will help us from a non-football perspective? Yeah, um, and, and it's, as I say, it's about driving standards in every area, and that therefore, I mean, we've got the people we're bringing in are going to come in with a fresh enthusiasm, a real energy. They're all Falkirk supporters. Um, one was a junior bairn, the other two are, are, are season ticket holders, lifelong. So they're all Falkirk people. People that left were folk people, people that come in are folk people, but that's important. But they'll come in with an energy and enthusiasm and a, and a, and a new structure that will be the right one for the club. If you ever needed more incentive in your job, it carries over in your weekend then, basically. Yeah, that can be, I can certainly say from last season, that can be a real negative because it does make the, it makes the rest of the weekend tough because naturally, as supporters, you go away from a, a defeat feeling exactly the same as the supporters who are in the stand. Mm. But then it, it, it does cast a shadow over especially when a season was as bad as last year you know Monday doesn't feel good Tuesday still doesn't feel good you know and that's the cycle we've been in as a club clearly we need to make sure that people come in on a Monday feeling good and feeling positive and that will help or that will be helped sorry by winning games on a Saturday and entertaining the fans yeah how do you keep morale up when things aren't going as well as you'd like yeah real challenge and, and it's not something I necessarily would say I achieved this year I I'm affected by the results, so I try to put a brave face in it. But but like people listening, if, you know the results affect me as well. Certainly, try my best, and I think the people in the building all tried their best. But 
once you get to the point where you know the season's going in a certain direction and it's not looking like it's going to be turned around, it's very hard at that point to, to, to maintain positivity when you know that the ultimate aim of promotion is not going to be achieved. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. So I would say the last couple of months in particular were really challenging because it was it was clear that we were, you know, we were going to be in League One again. And um I think that makes FD's job a bit more difficult, whether we're selling tickets, whether we're selling advertising, sponsorship or hospitality, it makes the job difficult. Do you think then that the restructure gives the chance for everyone to have a fresh start? Inside the club and even fans included knowing that it's basically a, a completely new internal running operation. Yeah, that basically it's going to be a fresh start for next year. Let's ditch the baggage and try and try and do well. I think we've got to, and that's why I'm trying not to to go, you know, in, in too much of the the problems that we've unearthed and the problems that we've dealt with. Because, you know, thankfully we've got through a lot of them now. We can't keep talking about them. We can't keep talking about last year, the year before that, because we'll, we'll be here forever in this league. If we if we keep getting dragged into that, we need to approach the new season as a as a as with a freshness, with an energy, with a positivity. I know the fans will. The fans will be here. The fans will be here and they'll be here in good numbers the way they have been every single season that I've been alive. So this is what will happen. The fans will get behind the club again and we need that we need to we need to get results in the park to make sure that they see the progress, but also results off the park that they see the club being rebuilt in the right way. And I think if Falkirk fans see both of those things happening, then we'll have an unbelievable asset next year in terms of fans backing the club to the hill. And that's a momentum and an energy that you know very few clubs can call upon. Certainly in our league, probably ourselves and Dunfermline are the only two that can really call upon that level of support. And um, as I say, it can, be our, it can be our biggest advantage next year. You mentioned the changes to the commercial department. Now, the board in the recent update says, basically highlighted the need to increase revenue this year. What is, is that revenue just to cover what was the existing costs or is that revenue for investment? What, what is the plan there? Yeah, so the, the, the club's... The club, more or less every season, even including the championship, runs with a bit of an operating loss. It's a bigger operating loss in League One than it is in the championship. Simply costs, you know, to maintain a, a healthy playing budget, your, you know, your income can't meet your costs at this moment in time in League One. So therefore, how do we survive or how do we get by? Yes, yeah, so, so, so the operating loss would exist regardless if it were here in the championship. The difference in the championship is it's, it's, a, it's a much lower operating loss. The challenge that then brings is you have to then bring extra income in. How have the club achieved this in the past? Historically, it was player sales and cup runs. Clearly, both are very difficult at the moment because our youth academy is only just starting again. So we don't have a pipeline of talent that we used to have. And cup runs are challenging when you're in League One. So therefore, the operating loss then has to be covered by investment. Now, we've been fortunate to have investment. We had the, the, the investment from Phil and Carrie uh, Rollins which helped. We've had investment from the patrons group and we've now got a, a monthly investment from the Falker Support Society. But for this club to to continue to operate as it does in League One, it would continue to need investment. So the only other way we can grow money is to grow commercial revenue. And therefore, can we increase our sponsorship? Can we increase our advertising? Can we increase our hospitality? Can we increase retail? And if we do that, then clearly the club's becoming more sustainable longer term as well. So it does require to always be looking to increase revenue to, to cut that operating loss. We can't constantly and forever rely on investment forevermore. That's, that's been great and, 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 and we're fortunate to have Falkirk fans out there who are, who are backing the club with, through investment. 
but that can't be relied upon forever. So this year, we, we need to you know grow all areas of the club. We're not setting unrealistic aims. We're not you know we're not expecting to increase turnover by fifty percent or anything like that. But we need to increase every single area. So collectively across the board, our overall income is better is, is improved on last year. You mentioned there about maintaining structure, and that's often a question that fans raise: is part-time, full-time. So following season after this one. If we're in the same position in the league as we are now, is part-timer a risk or is is the club pretty committed to keeping this full-time? The club's committed to keeping full-time football, but would it be a risk? Fast-forward a year from now, it, it, would, it would be, simply because, again, it would require more investment and you can't keep banking on investment. You can't just keep saying, great, we'll just get another chunky money coming in from investors. It may well happen. There may well be further investment in a year's time, but we can't be relying on that. So therefore, the longer we stay where we are and the more requirement on investment, then it does become a challenge. So it's not something that we are having. We're considering at this moment in time. We're full-time this season coming, and that's where we want to stay. Uh, however, the reality is that if we're still here in a year's time, it would have to be a decision. It would have to be a discussion. I guess that just highlights the importance that every part of the club needs to operate well in the next 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As I say, that there's nothing set in stone. We, we, we maybe could carry on full-time for another two or three seasons, but it would be, it would be dependent on things like investment and making sure that the, the club does have other sources of income coming in. So every year on the pitch will be important, but this year, yeah, this year's certainly important. You mentioned the pitch there. It's been widely talked about. I think John mentioned it in his interview with Falkirk TV as well. What's the plan for the pitch? Um, is it going to be replaced and what's it going to be replaced with? It's a good question and it's definitely one that's been on Falkirk fans lips for a long time. The The pitch itself, the current AstroTurf, has one to two years lifespan left in it. So this season clearly um, it will remain. Potentially next season it would remain. But at some point within the next couple of years we will, we will need to replace the pitch because it will just naturally come to the end of its lifespan. That therefore gives the club a decision to make. Now, the process has already begun to look at all three options. We should look at all three, which is replace it with an astroturf, like for like, or a similar astroturf, replace it as a grass pitch. The hybrid pitch is probably the best solution, but it's also the most expensive by quite quite some way. But we need to look at all three options, because in a year's time or two years' time, we might be in a different position. We might be able to invest more in a pitch. But ultimately that decision isn't a straightforward either because if we do decide to go back to grass, which I think from a football perspective is the right decision, purely based on where we want to be in a football club, that therefore leads to where the, the foundation teams train that train in it, where does it, our, our development squad teams train that train in it, that becomes a question that we have to answer. So then we need additional facilities elsewhere for the foundation and for our development squads. So it's not quite as straightforward a, a, a decision. Um, if it was left to purely football, I think most people would probably concede that a grass pitch is a, is a pitch that people want to play on. So if we're in the Premiership, we want to be playing on a grass pitch. To attract players, we want to be playing on a grass pitch. But we just need to make sure that we make the right decision for the club long term. Um, and that may well be looking at grass, astroturf or hybrid. And, and we'll see, what, see where we get to. But it's not a decision we have to make right now, but we have started the process. Would going back to grass cut off those extra revenue streams that the club currently has? I mean, we've got the killers coming soon. 
uh, the pitch is widely used by youth teams and other tenants of the stadium. Does does that all go away if you go back to grass? Yeah, so if you take each one in turn, so take the killers or, or, or concerts, it doesn't completely stop having concerts. There is stadiums, that, the grass grass pitches that who, who host concerts. Clearly, that's all about how you um, your maintenance plan, how that forms around there. So not straightforward but we could still have concerts on a grass pitch as long as they were timed correctly with enough time for recovery and maintenance in between so it wouldn't stop the concerts because I think the concerts are a positive not only for the club but for the town to have you know, one of the biggest bands in the world coming here for over two nights is something that um, I think is a positive for, for this football club but also for the town you then go to our development scores our academy clearly at the moment are, are the 16s and 18s training the pitch so that becomes a cost as soon as we move we have to go and pay our rent. And then our foundation teams who train on the pitch, the foundation um, pay a subsidised rate to train on the pitch, but they're our teams and we want to make them as much as part of the club as possible. So the benefit of being here should be one of the things that you get to train on the pitch. If we remove that, then clearly there is a loss of income, but also how do we support our foundation to make sure those kids have got some way to train as well. So there is several parts to the decision-making process and it does cover first team, concerts, academy and foundation it covers all aspects so um, there's a financial element to each and every one of them you mentioned there about the development squads and everyone training the pitch and then obviously the club in the recent statement have said that they're looking for an official training partner to move first team training away from the stadium can you talk us through why the club is looking to try and do that and what the benefits would be yes so this is about the long term again for the football club is what type of club do we want to be long term we want to be the most attractive club we can. We want to be a club that can compete at the highest level. So what would that look like? If you bring, if you start off there and you bring it back, you would want to have a good training facility. Now clearly, we've, we've still got a long way to go on that journey, but one of the things that both Martin, and Martin Rennie and Kenny Miller highlighted, and now John and Paul have both highlighted, is if it was possible to train on grass, that would be a, a significant benefit in their opinion as, as managers and coaches with regards to the players training away from the match day facility. So it feeling different than training and playing every day. But also, from a from recovery point of view, players training in grass every day recover quicker probably than training ash stuff every day. Especially older players to get a bit tighter and and I think injuries, not necessarily injuries are caused by ash stuff, but I think tightness and soreness is caused by can be caused by a, an older ash stuff pitch as well, as, instead of a grass pitch. So, so a grass pitch has got certain benefits from a football perspective so therefore with our two management teams that have told us the ideal scenario would be to have a grass pitch for training so it's something we're going to explore is it achievable can we get it financed in a way that it doesn't affect the playing budget so cause what we don't want to do is on one hand provide a grass pitch but then chop, chop into the playing budget and reduce the manager's ability to attract players so we need to try and be clever about it in terms of how do we source grants funding sponsorship to package something that allows the first team to maybe have a training facility somewhere but still have obviously the, the match day facility here so it's a it's it's both short term and long term where we believe the club needs to go to and it's one that that john and paul would would, would, would like us to get to if we can get there right away then that's that's what we're going to try and do you mentioned there john and paul so how excited are you to get those guys in the building as a new management team yeah, I think it's, you know, my own opinion is that they're absolutely the best management team that we that we could that we could bring to this football club. 
they were my number one choice and I know that right away the board were absolutely convinced that John and, and Paul were the right people to bring to this club it's a process that started a little bit earlier than obviously by the time the announcement was made because we had to do things properly we had to go through the proper channels with regards to to Rafe Rovers and give them give them their, their space because their season was still going on they were still in the hunt for the playoffs but delighted to get them I really think it's I think given their track record of success at this at this level you think about it they've won this league twice they've won the Challenge Cup twice albeit you know shared it jointly once due to Covid they've taken Rafe Rovers straight from this league into the playoffs and the championship and I think we're a club that has more potential than Rafe Rovers so getting this club going well there's nothing saying that in the next two three years we can't be competitive at the top end of that championship but fundamentally we need people or a manager managing team that can get us out of this league and we look at John and Paul as, as two people that we absolutely think they can not only have they got the track record of doing that but they're also people who have been proven to do well with recruitment so that they've always recruited well you look at their track record in that they play a good brand of football anybody that's watched Rafe Rovers in the last couple of years will see Rafe Rovers play a good brand of football it's exciting it's entertaining it's positive I think Falkirk fans demand that and it's been missing so we need to get back to that and almost icing on the cake is they also believe in playing young players so for me you've got the, a great mix of, of highly regarded and respected management and coaches along with a track record and as I say a, a willingness to not only play good football but to give young players a chance and I think we needed that's the, that's who, that's the type of person we needed and for me there wasn't anybody else who met that criteria that, that, that was affordable that we could that we could attract so I think John and Paul are a fantastic appointment how confident then are you for the season ahead? How much confidence has the previous experience given you that this is the one we've finally found the right team? Yeah, so you know, I can't go on the decisions that were made in the past on management management team. I can only go on this one that, that, that having been involved in this one, it was one that, that I was convinced. Nothing's changed. I'm convinced that John and Paul are the right guys for the club. I'm not going to say sit here and say we're going to win this league without a doubt because that would be that would be naive. I think we'll have. A, I think we'll be very, very competitive to win this league. I think we will. Clearly, ourselves, Dunfermline, I think Queen of the South, Kelty, Montrose. You know, it's not going to be a straightforward league. It's definitely not going to be straightforward. But we've got the best management team that we can that we can bring in. So, am I confident for the season ahead? Yes, but I'm also realistic that there's no divine right to win this league, and. Dunfermline and Queen's coming down, two full-time teams coming down. Certainly doesn't make it easier. But it's up to us to be the best we can, and I do believe that that, that we will be with, with the management team in place. It's probably the most competitive league in the pyramid next year, looking at all the teams that's in it. Maybe argue the championship, but this it's going to be an exciting and challenging one. Uh, the board kind of mentioned that they need to get the infrastructure right to support John, and that's something that's been missing in the past. Can you, can you tell us what that infrastructure is that they need, what's in place and where, where you see you need to still need to build? Yeah, I think pe- infrastructure people think that means we're just employing lots more staff and the answer is we're not, we're just using staff and budget more wisely than maybe we did last year. So we have a we have a, um, a part-time head scout in Alan Fraser who's a highly, highly experienced scout, somebody I've known for a long time and somebody I felt would, would make a real difference in this football club. But we didn't have that before, you know. We're a, we're a full team football club that didn't have a you know a, a head scout, and I think that's 
that's something that was an absolute must to to um, to go after that because ultimately you mentioned it towards the start Colin about is the mistake we keep making by simply replacing the managers all the time is that you know is it just a, we just keep appointing bad managers I, I wouldn't suggest that is the case I think when you look at some of the managers that have been unsuccessful here they've been done relatively well elsewhere or they had previously done relatively well elsewhere but recruitment of players is absolutely key to a successful management team so we need a head scout we need a team of scouts but we need a head scout as a starting point and we've got somebody with over 30 years experience who's worked at the club previously which is a, which is a, which is a really good starting point but as well as that Southampton Huddersfield Ipswich Derby Watford you know this is a guy with, 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 with fantastic experience so that, that was one of the things that we've managed to do uh, in, in the last couple of months was, was bring Alan in and therefore he needs time to build a scouting team and to build a proper recruitment network now he's got some of his own contacts, which is which is great. But we need to we need to build that so that hopefully in a few years' time, when things have went really really well, and if and and maybe the management team are moving on, but they're moving on because they've been they've been asked to go to a bigger club, for example. We're not then having to start again with a scouting team. A scouting team should be in place. So so that was when people talk about infrastructure. That's one of the key things of infrastructure. I know we'll come on to youth development, but that's another key thing of a successful football club is having a a proper youth development structure. Um, within the building, we, we still we have got you know we have got a res- good resource um, in terms of sports science, in terms of physiotherapy, in terms of our analysis. We've got all that in there. John and Paul were really impressed to see some of the things we did have in place, but we we do need to build up. We do need to make sure that it's the very best backroom structure we can have. But that doesn't mean just spending lots and lots of money. It means improving things. It means being more efficient, and it means using people's knowledge and expertise in, in, in a way where John and Paul have every single bit of support that they could ever need within this football club With the structure that we've got now and the support they've got, ultimately John makes a decision on players coming in and going out. Yeah absolutely and in my opinion that's the one line that should never be crossed ever, anywhere I personally even if I was asked to be involved in that I would say no, the manager has to recruit the players the manager has to be the one that recruits his staff or his staff, and therefore, any inf- any interference or influence in that I think is wrong personally. By all means, if we have a proper recruitment network, then John will have more information at his hands, stats, analysis, reports in terms of your 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 what I'll call old school traditional scouting, which was still so important and probably the number one thing eyes on players. But you also have can get video footage and stats analysis to back it up. If we give John all that, then he's got all the information he could ever need, as well as his own knowledge and expertise. That gives him a better chance of getting the right decision or making the right decisions. But what, what should never happen is any inf- any interference on on who the manager signs. So John will have carte blanche, hundred percent on 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 who on who he signs. We mentioned youth development a couple of times now, and we've seen regular updates through the club website, and the team seem to be doing well. We've also seen some of the challenges that the players in the club have faced. So could you just talk us through how the youth academy and youth development systems performing at the moment and where do you see it going? Yeah, I, 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 what I'll maybe do is start off almost going back to you know to, to, to where we were previously just so people, you know, because Falkirk fans are really passionate about seeing young players in the first team. It was a, such a big part of our identity and we lost that. We need to we need to regain that, but what I would maybe start off is by explaining where we were previously. And previously, George Craig and Rose Wilson put together an academy many many years ago, 
the initial academy, it took 10 or 12 years of investment to get the academy up to being. I would suggest that when we when it was closed, we were probably in the top eight in Scotland. We were a high-performing academy with some terrifically talented young players and coaches and staff in the building. And we were playing at what was, what was called the performance level, which is the second tier in Scottish football. And with regards to where we were and where we are now, you know, we've had to start again in, in what is the bottom tier, the third tier. So there is a massive difference between between the two. The um, the club at that point, when it had its full, what I'll class as a full time academy, it had everything that's still in uni, everything in place, and, and all the resources required. And and the, and the cost of the club was about 110, 120k, 130k a year was the cost. So. Once that was closed, though, you've not, it's not, you can't just restart it because the problem is that that, that took 10 years of investment to produce some of the players that, that, that have went on to have fantastic careers. So it took building up from the beginning, but investing year on year to produce players like Kingsley, for example, and many, many others that have went on and done well in their careers. Now, it'd be great if we could just turn the plug back on or turn the tap back on, sorry, and, and start producing players again, but that's not how youth development works. So where we are now is we started with a 16s and 18s in, in the third tier of youth football and we we want to eventually get back to having a, an academy that's in that second tier, and I'll explain why the second tier probably more so in the first tier, but that's going to take a bit of time and it's going to take a lot of money as well eventually. So in terms of our journey, the very top tier is called the elite tier. It's where Celtic and Rangers, Hearts and Hibs, etc. The investment required from Falkirk for that would be probably something like a quarter of a million pound a year. I'm going to suggest at this moment in time we're a long way off being there. And even in the Premiership, that still becomes a challenge. That's still a lot of money. So the biggest clubs in the country are there. The six biggest ones, if you include Dungeon United, are all on that top of that elite. That'll be challenging for us to be there. What we can be, though, is we can be in the second tier, which is... The investment required for that is back to that similar number, about £120,000, £130,000. We can get there, but probably not right now either, because that's also a lot of money for a League One football club to be sustaining year on year. And not to mention, we'd have to do it for several years before we started to see the players come through. So it's not just a one-off investment of £130,000, it's several years of £130,000. So where we were is, when I was asked to almost kind of go back and oversee the, the youth academy in, uh, in January, what we unearthed was, was, was a few, was some issues. One of them was that a, a younger team had been started and been promised that they would be entering an academy football, but we, we couldn't get there. And the reason we couldn't get there is to enter that next stage of academy football, we would have had to have had all the criteria met by this summer, which meant having under 11s, 12s, 13s, 14s, all the way up but also having full-time staff, also having physiotherapists at every level, analysis at every level, um, obviously coaches at every level, A-licence holders, youth licence holders, all the kit and equipment for 90-odd players, training facilities for 90-odd players, a massive, massive commitment to go from 16s and 18s to that, and it would have cost about an extra £100,000. But you can't enter in stages. You have to enter at the start of a three-year cycle, and then you're in for that three-year cycle. So we are faced with a really difficult decision, which was this younger team's been started, but we don't have a pathway for them. So unfortunately, we, we had to be honest with the parents and say that, that, that you know there isn't a pathway to this football club at this moment in time because we simply can't afford and make the resource available to go to the performance level this summer. 
it's a tough decision because for me I would love to start it right now I'd love to get back right now to what we had before but the reality is we're a business and we have to build towards that so our aim for youth development is by 2026 which is the next cycle is to be ready to step in at that moment in time and go to that next, go back to where we were so it's a few years away but that gives the, chance, the club a chance to rebuild so what we'll now do with youth development over the next three years is focus on the 16s and 18s being the best it can be and build the next stage, which is what is the transition between an under-18 player and a Falkirk first-team player. That's a massive, massive jump. At the moment, we don't have anything bridging that gap. So we'll be announcing and recruiting, our, recruiting and announcing our new head of youth fairly soon. It's a part-time role. And part of his role will be to work with John and myself to find the best mechanism, the best solution for Falkirk Football Club for a young player at 17 what are the stages for him to then go into the Falkirk first team? So previously the club had under twenties team, and it would go the player would go in full time, get a full time wage and, and be in a be kind of almost an apprentice. So he'd be doing his studies as well, and then they would have one or two years in the development squad where they're playing with first team players dropping down, as well as maybe going out on loan. And then after a couple of years, they might break through in the Falkirk first team. We don't have that mechanism now, so what we need to find is over the next year is what is going to be the pathway for our most talented under 18s once they get to the end point of the under 18s and that's something that we need to develop over the next year so to summarise we're fully committed to youth development but it's going to take us a bit of time to get to where we really really want to be and that's just down to the fact that there's three year cycles that you need to enter in we're going to miss this one we weren't able to go in this one and put the extra resource in but by the following cycle we want to be there and by that point hopefully we're in a better place as a club and we can start to really develop young talent again but over the next few years we're still hoping to unearth one or two players that can go and make an impact in this first team and that's what I think Falkirk fans see as a key part of the club's identity that's been missing. Yeah and I think you mentioned the development squad by 23-24 season is the, is the aim at the moment. Yes so whether it's a development squad or whether there's because there's different ways in terms of what that transition might look like so we did have a previously a full-time development squad, which again costs a lot of money. Is that achievable? Or do we look at an under-20s type programme? Or do we look at partnerships with local clubs? There's different ways to do it. What we need to do is find the best way, and again, this will be the, the head of youth and, and, and John and Paul obviously having all, all of an input into this. What is the best way to support our young players? So it might not be a full squad, but it will certainly be a transition plan that doesn't currently exist. We'll have that in place in the next year. Um, I think that's quite an exciting development but we have to make it work for Falkirk Football Club it has to be something that's sustainable and achievable for the club and therefore we might have to be a little bit creative about how we do it but ultimately the commitment is there to make sure there's going to be a, a plan and a pathway for a guy when he gets to the under 18 stage to break, somehow bridge the gap over the next year or two into their first team Great, I think that's good to hear that the club is still committed um, to youth development and at least you're hopeful we'll get the next Stephen Kingsley, Craig Savile in the next few years. Yeah, it's it has to be a part of this football club. It has to be. Look, look at the history of the club. The club not only thrives when it's got young players in its first team, but then the players are sold on and the money's reinvested back into the club. You know, you, you look at you look at Mayor Motherwell as, as an example of a club that's been able to run its club very well, but it's not a bigger club than Falkirk. And they've they're consistently competing at the right you know, towards the top end of Scottish football selling players for you know several million pounds you know there's no there's, there's no having admitting it i look at that and i think that's that's where we should be 
We should be doing that. So youth football players, young players, are an absolute key, key part of this football club. And we, we lost that. When the academy was closed, it was probably the single biggest, worst decision in the football club's entire history. That's how bad a decision that was. We can't, re- we can't change it overnight. But the plan has to be to get back there eventually. Because that decision has probably been one of the reasons that we find ourselves where we are. Now, again, youth football players are not the only thing that's going to get us back there, but being able to call upon young players in our first team that can excite the fans and give the fans that, that bit of identity back again with young players representing their club and then maybe moving on and the club recouping money and being able to reinvest it, this club needs that to be sustainable and to be successful. So it has to be a part, a key part of our strategy. I guess patience is probably then the message. We'll, we'll all get back, hopefully, to where we were, if not better. But it will take time. Yeah, and it's about being creative as well. I mean, Conor McGrandles came in late to the academy and, and, and very quickly got himself into the first team and, and went on and, and didn't play a huge number of games for Falkirk, but played, played, and then managed to go on and make the club money. So while we don't have the full pathway, there's nothing saying we can't. There might be a boy right now in the 16s or 18s that does come through and go and play and go and be a first-team player. But there might also be a boy who, who leaves a club in the next six months or a year that we managed to attract into Falkirk and maybe he's only in the academy or development squads for a year and then John puts him in the first team so there's nothing saying we can't find one of those players in the next year or two but it's it's, it's certainly much easier if you have a full pathway because then you're working with players from 10 year old so you're developing them from 10 year old our challenge will be we don't have that just now so we have to f- try and look at maximising what we do have giving the boys the very best possible chance that they're in the 16s and 18s but also trying to find players that drop out of other clubs I think we've done the fans now um, it's been a tough few years for them but they're still coming in numbers there's Falkirk Sports Society being set up there's Bain for Life there's the Country Initiative the fans still love their club and are trying to do well so how important are they going to be in the next year or two to getting the club back to Championship and then hopefully fine for Premiership no, first of all the club the club only exists because of the fans. It's, it's, it's as straightforward as that. It's, it's an easy equation. The, the, the fans are the club. So our biggest asset is our people. People in the building, volunteers and staff, and the people that come and invest their time and money to be, to support the club. The biggest and most important people are, are, are our supporters. And we are very, very fortunate to have probably one of the best, one of the top 10 top 12 supports in Scotland, certainly top 12, maybe even top 10 best supported clubs in Scotland. And they've stuck by this club despite all of the support in the last four or five years. They've stuck by it in incredible numbers. Therefore, for us to be successful, the fans are going to be the ones that are going to get us, are going to make the club successful again by being by supporting the club, by backing the club with season tickets and merchandise and, 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 and retail and so on and so forth. That's what gives the club the ability to go and invest in the first team and, and so on. So without the fans, we, we simply aren't, we can't be successful. If there's ever a time right now, the ever a time, sorry, is right now in terms of the fans deserve, they deserve something back now. You know, they've, they've had so many disappointments and they've stuck by and they've been loyal. They absolutely, there's no fan base in Scotland that deserves it more than Falkirk fans. Falkirk fans deserve to see a successful team on that park. And if we get that, then I've no doubt the backing and the momentum that that could, that could generate and carry us, that will carry us all the way to the Championship and maybe beyond. How important then is fan engagement over the next over the next year or two to make sure that the fans know what's happening in the club and that they can trust that it's, it's going the right way? 
yeah, and understandably, Falkirk fans have lost trust in the leadership because all the decisions that have been made or the bad decisions have been made over, over, over four, five, six years. And therefore, we have to build that trust back up. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a brand new board, um, new staff, new people in the building, etc. So therefore, you need to earn trust. You don't just get it as a divine right. Fans need to trust me. They need to trust the new board. They need to trust the new manager. That doesn't, you know, you have to give them reasons to trust you. And what the what the previous five or six years have done is actually given Falkirk fans a lot of reasons not to trust, not to trust the board. So we need to keep engaging. We need to keep talking to fans. We need to find different ways to speak to them. So we're going to have uh, fans, a couple of fans, um, update an update evening on the second of June here at the stadium where fans can come along and just listen to what the board have got to say. I think that's important. Ask questions, engage. The board are looking forward to looking forward to that, and information will be out soon. It's finding ways of the board updates that we're doing every couple of months. I think are hopefully giving fans a taste of what's in the club, but it's also doing things like this. It's maybe finding other ways to engage with people, other ways to 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 give information. We haven't been great at it. The club has not been great engaging with fans over over many years, and that's another area. Going back to the point in the very start of the podcast is, so not we need to be better at how we communicate. It's another area that needs improvement. So hopefully things like this make a difference, but this alone doesn't solve the problem. Having a fans night on the first day, second of June, that doesn't solve it on its own, but hopefully it steps in the right direction. Yeah, and trust can maybe start to be rebuilt. Only the big prover of that is getting a great team on the pitch, but if everyone else in the club is running the way it should, at least the fans can have belief that, that the people are doing the right things and trying the right things. Yeah, I think you know, focus supporters are, you know, they, they, they absolutely engage with the club, so they know what's going on, and they, you can't pull the wool over their eyes, which has maybe happened in the past. You, you, we need to be honest and transparent. We need to be honest and say the club's not in the best place at this moment in time, and it is going to take a huge effort, collective effort, to, to turn it around. That we can't hide from that. We need to that, that that needs to be a clear message, but we also then can't expect fans to automatically just trust us, because there's lots of reasons in, in the history, previous previous leadership that hasn't, you know, that's given Falkirk fans reasons not to trust. So going forward, it is about earning that trust and hopefully we're starting to do it already, but I like to think over the coming weeks and months that we'll, some of the things that we're doing, we'll, we'll start to see more of that. And just to touch on, you know, your supporter societies, etc. I think the FASS, Falkirk fans have wanted fan ownership. You know, that's been something that's been, as long as I can remember, it's been talked about. Now, now it's there. It's now, a, it's now an actual possibility. I'm, I'm a member of the FSS because I believe in it. So I, so I, so I subscribe because I think that's what's, what the football club should be. It should have different levels of investment, but as a, as a, as a fan, you should be able to, to own a part of the club and to have a say in the part and the running of your club. So the FSS is now there, 400 members already. Given how bad a season it was, I think that's actually not a bad start. But you look at some of the other clubs that have, that have done this in the past or, or done it, there's clubs a lot smaller than us that have higher memberships. So we need that membership over time can make a massive difference to the football club. So hopefully more Falkirk fans, as, as they see a good team on the park and they see um, things going well off the park, subscribe to that. And therefore that allows the club to, to, to build going forward. Um, you take something like the Crunchy Initiative as, as well. You know, that's a fantastic initiative that, has, that is, is now going to be recognising our player of the millennium. In a really fitting manner, that's fans that have driven that. 
yeah, we, you know, we, we, we've provided a little bit of support here and there, but actually that's fans that have made that happen. So that stand being renamed the Kevin McAllister stand is a fantastic, fantastic tribute to, to, to a, you know, a top, top football player. And I think that right, I think that there shows the power fans can have. Um, and and, and we're, by this point in this podcast, we'll, we'll announce the game. We're playing Kilmarnock on um, Friday 24th of June. Uh, to rename the stand, and that'll be the first first game of the, the new season, if you want to call it that. So we can't wait to see people come out in their numbers to not only show their appreciation to, to Kevin, but to show their appreciation to the Crunch Initiative for, for making it happen. Yeah, how important do you think things like that, and well, that's a fan-led thing, but how, do you think, how important do you think gestures like that are to the fan base to actually create that club feel that, that's maybe been missing? Yeah, I, f- I think it has been missing. You know, we, we all think back to Brockville, and it was just such an iconic place, and it just like many people, I loved, I loved going to Brockville. This stadium doesn't, you know, it's never going to be Brockville. Times have moved on, but what can we do to make it feel like home? To make it really feel like our our, our home? Because it's never going to be Brockville again. But what can we do? So things like the Crunch Initiative, renaming the stand, I think that's massive. I think that type of thing can really make people feel at home again. We need to find a way to, to improve the atmosphere and have and have, you know, go back to again having a really positive, strong atmosphere because Falkirk was renowned for being a really tough place to go. We need, we need to go, we need to get create that again here at the stadium. So, given opportunities or having things like the stand being renamed, I think that's massive, and I really do believe that Falkirk fans that that's the type of thing they want to see. Listening to the supporters, this was a supporter-led initiative that has ultimately is going to lead to a real positive in the club. And I think that's what fans need. They need they need to know that the that fans can have a proper say in the running of the club. Falkirk being a community club, the fans mostly live in the area. They see the impact the club can have when it's doing well on the pitch. Can also see the see the impact the foundation can have. Can can you talk us through how the foundation links up with the club, how you're looking to improve that, how it can be communicated the work that the foundation does, because I don't think that's really been communicated in the past few years. Can you talk through about the foundation is going to be done. Yeah, so try not to repeat myself, but I do believe a successful club needs to be successful in all areas. Now, we are very fortunate to have a fantastic foundation. One of the very best in Scotland, without a doubt, working with over a thousand people a week from you know, junior bairns at one and a half, 18 months, all the way up to walking football players at 82, 85 year old. That's what the reach the foundation has, and it works with so many disadvantaged groups and so many people using our badge, using our brand. These, this is part of the club. It's not a, an offset of the club. It's not a bit that sits over there. It's part of our football club. To be, to be the best we can, we need to be the best we can in the community. We need to engage with people. We need to enrich people's lives and make a positive difference. The foundation does that. Our foundation does that. And it does it on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, 360 days a year it probably does it. So we need, to, we need to talk more about that. We need to share those stories more. But we also need to work in partnership more. One of the things that I felt on day one I wanted to do was work closely with the foundation. We've already done a lot of things now that we didn't used to do jointly, we now do them jointly. Most recently being a recognition night, that used to be a, a club event where there was a, you know, there was one um, award for a, for the foundation contained within the night. I said, I said to Derek, who's the chief executive of the foundation, I said, well, why, why would that not be a full club, a full club awards night? Recognising good people, recognising amazing volunteers, recognising fantastic projects that you guys have done. It shouldn't just be a football event. There's, the club's got far, far more going on than simply three o'clock on a Saturday. Well, that will always be the 
part that most people want to know. We should be shouting from the rooftops about the amazing work the foundation's doing. So myself and Derek meet every week. We've we've already done a lot of things, things like signing sign the Sam H charter together between the club and the foundation, the first club and foundation to do it in Scotland, um, as well as everything we've done, we've now done together. So food drives, uh, Ukraine appeal, everything we've done has all been done jointly. And that's the way it should be. We should work hand in hand with our foundation. And now that COVID is, is you know, hopefully seen the very back of COVID, we need to get players and the manager, etc., back out in the community, out to sponsors, out to schools, out to local businesses, engaging with, engaging with people. That's what this club did really, really well at one point, and we need to get back to that. Yeah. Me coming up as a kid, that's, that's what I remember, the free tickets, the junior bear events, the training camps, and I think even if the, the foundation has been doing it, it needs publicising. Yeah. I think the people need to know that there is things to be proud about folk that are still doing good. Yeah, we absolutely do. You know, for something like the Junior Bairns is something that we, you know, we can't overdo the, the promotion on that. You know, it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, membership scheme that, that, that Sarah Scott and the team run and have run for a long number of years. But, but there is a lot more than just that. There's so much more we do that we probably need to publicise and talk about a bit more. It's challenging at times when things are going so poorly on the park. People think you maybe try to deflect from talking about, you know, some nice things that you do in the community. But what we can't do is lose focus. We can't lose focus. And I think that we have lost focus a little bit on our, our community engagement work. So now that COVID's away, there's no excuses. It's a case of getting back out there and, and working, you know, hand in glove with the foundation and making sure that we together make a big difference in this community. Yeah. Because when this club does well, the community does a lot better as well. Yeah. And, and, and what's, what's going to separate us in, in hopefully years to come when we are in the Premiership again? We we will we're a club that could be a mid-table club, a Motherwell, a St Johnson, a, a Kilmarnock. But what's going to separate us from those clubs when we get there? Because we've got a similar fan base. So being the very best we can in the community, being the very best we can commercially, being the very best we can in youth academy, that's the things that will separate us. Because ultimately, there are a lot of clubs in Scotland are similar size to us. Some have been in the Premiership many years. Some like us have, have, have not been. But how do we become better than those clubs? Without doubling our fan base, there has to be other ways to do it, and, and I think the community is one of the key areas that we can do it. Taking all your time, Jamie. So the last couple is key dates for the fans over the summer, season tickets, strip launch, and then obviously the, the Premier Sports Cup kicks off in July, so it's not that far away. Yeah, so, so key dates, looking forward to the season ticket launch, there's been a slight delay on that because we're moving ticketing platform we really need to make sure everything's right behind the scenes there's quite a lot of, quite a lot of things need to be need to be put in place we've been working on it for weeks we're still not quite there we're hoping very hopeful that season tickets will go on sale at the start of next week uh, I, I'm thinking at the moment it might, just be, it might be Wednesday the 1st of June that's what I'm looking at because there's still a couple of tiny wee teething problems we need to sort and I don't want to go live until everything's ready to go so Wednesday the 1st of June would be my my kind of estimated date but a little bit of flexibility in that in case there's some further problems but hopefully not strip launch so players return on the 11th of June we therefore will once the players are back in we'll look to do the strip launch at that point in time so probably looking at photos and video etc to be done that that week and therefore a, a launch towards the end of of, of that, that first week back in back in training um, the Premier Sports Cup draw is uh, is this, is this Wednesday so by the time this podcast goes out, we already know who our first competitive opponents are. Looking forward to seeing that. Is the strip a good one? 
I certainly think so. <laughs> it, it was obviously fans look forward to seeing that that that, that new home kit in particular. It's something that, that people look forward to. I, I quite like it. Naturally, or, or not actually, people maybe don't necessarily know this. The lead times of Puma are quite quite long. So actually, the strip was picked last almost last summer. By the time I came in, in August, it was actually all more or less more or less picked. Um, we, 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 we tweaked a couple of details, but it had to be submitted as, as early as, as last August, September right. to Puma because of the lead time required because the home strip's a bespoke strip. So actually, it's, it's been in the pipeline for a long, long time because of the requirements for Puma. I, I think the fans will like it. I really do. We're going to have a, a front of shirt sponsor as well that will that, be a new partner and, and I think one that, that you know, a local Falkirk business I think will be uh, will be well received um, and, and one that will be a real positive so in terms of rebuilding that club again Central Demolition were here for a long time we're fantastic partners we we, we lost obviously lost them um, a couple of years ago there and we need to now find a, a proper partner to help us on, on the journey back so I think even I think things like that are important as well and uh, we'll be announcing our front of shop sponsor around about the same time as our strip launch just to finish up, is there anything more that you want to say to the fans before the new season starts? Uh, there's probably a lot I want to say, but but, but I've, I've maybe covered a lot of it. Ultimately, I think there's a there's a realization of within the building of, of how tough things have been because as Falkirk fans on the board, as Falkirk fans and the staff, this has been as difficult as I could ever imagine. The last season was as bad as I could ever imagine. I'm people will listen to this and think, well, how, how can we be sure that things are going to go in the right direction? I can't promise that. I can I can say that I genuinely believe we're making the right decisions to make this club successful again, but it will take a bit of time. But without Falkirk fans, without Falkirk fans' loyalty and passion, we won't, we won't be successful. I appreciate things are difficult and therefore maybe people out there who maybe don't necessarily or can't get a season ticket because of the, the current cost of living crisis. So we want to try and do our best to help people that maybe are struggling a little bit as well. So we are creating a, a fund with the foundation that will be um, for those that are able to when they buy their season ticket, they can they can put a small donation in. That money will be collected from the foundation. We're going to find ways to give people access to games next year that maybe are struggling. So that could be people that are disadvantaged. It could be people that are just going through a difficult time financially. We want to make sure that nobody misses out as much as we can so we don't want people missing out but also we appreciate that it's, it's not an easy time for Falkirk fans but if you're able to please do continue to, sh- to show your support to the club because without you there's not a club you guys are the club Jamie thanks for your time thank you Colin